0: the river down here in Roswell, we had the river in our backyard and we were some of the few kids that actually took advantage of the river. You know, running down, looking at animal tracks along the river and seeing a lot of wildlife and, and then fishing just fell into place. But my grandfather on my mother's side, he fished. And so while he traveled through Atlanta on his way to and from Florida. He'd be going back up to New York and to the Adirondacks, him and my grandmother, and then they would drive back down in the winter. They would spend the winters in Florida. So he would stop and uh, encourage my brother and I to fish because he... grew up fishing in the Adirondacks up in up in New York which is a neat little place to hang out huh oh it's yeah there's some <laughs> nice nice smallmouth bass up there yeah. and the lily pads and some fond memories fishing with him up up there but I think that's where we got the bug and you know he encouraged us to you know fish in our backyard and you know some of the kids in the neighborhood looked at us like we're crazy what are you doing fishing in your backyard but we took advantage of that and then we took it to a whole nother level
1: yeah, you know, I grew up in Michigan and we had basically in our backyard, we had ponds. Mm-hmm. I'm not from Michigan, but we ended up up there for my dad's work, but there were ponds out back. There were probably about four of us kids in the neighborhood that would end up at the ponds. I mean, that was just mm-hmm. kind of what we did. And up there, fishing is a little different up there. You know, we would be either in one of the ponds or the other. You know, if you weren't swimming, you were fishing. And if you weren't fishing, it was cold and you were riding your bicycle on them or you were skating, you know, life kind Outside. of revolved around water Absolutely. and it sounds like that's the way that you grew up as well yeah
0: yeah there was the neighborhood rope swing right i think everybody has a rope yes, swing yes. somewhere or uh, cliffs where they like to jump into the river or the quarry lake or whatever uh
1: if you don't have yeah. a rope swing as a kid you need to go find one
0: you really do. you
1: really do. There's probably some mom or dad out there just losing their mind right now. No you know but right. you really do you really do need one of those. right
0: Anything to get outside but <laughs> yes
1: absolutely. All right, welcome into Southeastern Fly. This is uh, David Perry and today today I'm talking to Chris Scally who is the owner and head guide of River through Atlanta Guide service otherwise known as RTA. Yeah, so if you're searching for for a river, if you're coming into Atlanta on business or you live around here, there's, what, 6 million people within 50, 100 miles or so. But there's a river, and we're right on the banks of it right now. We're at the world headquarters of RTA, and just across the street here is the Hooch, uh, which is... Well-known throughout the South uh, and has some trout in it. So it's just north of Atlanta, and Atlanta's a little town uh, that you may have heard of as well. Chris, you've been in business since 1994? Yeah. Been around a little bit?
0: Yes, 25 but years this this year. You grew up here? Yes, so we, we moved here in the uh, mid-70s. I hate to admit it, you know, my, <laughs> my, my age. Uh, yeah, so early 70s. Uh, You know, another milestone kind of, and I know you can probably remember this, David, when you knew the Olympics were going to be here in 96. So that was kind of another event that was, uh, we, 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 uh, it was, it was kind of a, a love hate thing. You know, we were glad (laughs) to have the, the, the customers here, but my gosh, it was crazy. Yeah, You you think we had traffic now? Oh man, (laughs) we had the Olympics. Everybody converged on Atlanta. That
1: was a big deal for the whole area i mean every major interstate coming into georgia has a new rest area at that time that's the (laughs) right which is crazy you know but they thought of everything Uh, so we're on the we're on the banks of the hooch right now does it start in north georgia or does it start somewhere else
0: yeah yeah so just north of helen uh it starts as a trickle in chattahoochee gap okay and it's on the appalachian trail really. And um, you could jump across it. It's just a little spring. It flows over 300 miles down where you used to fish with your granddad on Seminole. And we used to complain about the uh, barge traffic on Seminole because <laughs> they, they would run all this water for navigation. They right. would run those barges through in the spring when they had a lot of water. They would sell that water to get commerce through Seminole. So, so but right here, so you the area that you fish
1: is the tailwater. I would assume you're below Buford. Is that right?
0: That's right. That's right. So they built Buford Dam. I think they finally filled the lake. It took them almost four years to fill it up, but they started buying land in the early 50s in the five surrounding counties on the lake for less than $20 an acre, if you could believe that. Wow. And they finally filled it in 57. And all the warm water species in the in the river, there were a lot of shoal bass. There were catfish and crappie and perch and everything else. A lot of warm water species. But those species require a photoperiod and temperature to trigger their spawning. And especially the females. They won't throw eggs if, you know, the days get longer in the summer, in the spring. But the water temperature stayed in the 50s. So uh, the scientists call it extra. that basically the fish couldn't reproduce so we wound up by they finished the dam in 57 and by the time we got into the mid to late 60s there were no fish there was a circle of avid trout fishermen that fished the little Tennessee a lot Mm, before they before Before that dam before that that dam. dam yeah and so they knew what a tailwater the potential it could have and so I know for You know, long story short, the trout fishing was such a major uh, boost for the economy in the mountains. You know, we had opening day of trout season in Georgia, and that was a big kickoff for uh, trout fishing in Georgia. And so there was a lot of political red tape resisting the stocking of the Chattahoochee, even though these guys knew the potential because of that cold water. And long story short, they... Basically, went to North Carolina, got a bunch of fingerlings, and dumped them in the river sometime in the early 60s, and we haven't looked back since. Now, since 1995, they have not stocked brown trout, or I'm sorry, 2005. Since 2005, they have not stocked any brown trout in the Chattahoochee River. And so all the brown trout that you're seeing us catching and anybody catching a brown trout for basically between Buford Dam and Morgan Falls Dam, those are 100% natural reproduction. And the rainbows, they reproduce on a limited basis, but they're mostly stocked. So they stock mostly rainbows, and then it's all natural reproduction with the brown trout.
1: Interesting. And you're this far down, you're this far south. Uh, Atlanta's a pretty good way south. And most people would think, oh, well, we'll do some bass fishing or something like that. Whenever in reality, there's plenty of trout fishing around here. You just, you just have to know where to look.
0: Yeah, this is a little different than what Alec Jackson sings about. The muddy, (laughs) the warm, muddy water (laughs) down south. That's middle Georgia. Whereas we're, we're cold. You know, it's 49, 48 degrees coming out of the dam in in August. Right. It's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that we've got a, a, a thriving trout fishery. You know, right here.
1: So you started, you were a kid, you started kind of fishing here. I guess that's probably you put your roots down here as as far as an angler goes and then how did you even get started fly fishing
0: yeah so it's kind of a funny story we were lucky you know growing up near the river and and we would camp out a lot you know there's islands along the river and and so it was real popular for my buddies in you know grade school you know sixth seventh grade we'd definitely find the rope swing the local rope swing (laughs) and the watering hole and that kind of thing but we would we would camp and we'd be out there with our bb guns and pellet guns and, and our fishing poles. Well, my buddy, he borrowed his dad's old fiberglass true temper uh, fly rod, <laughs> and it had the automatic reel, one of those moker reels. You know, the thing weighed probably a half a pound. Right, right. And uh, he pulled the
1: trigger, and it sucks the line. That's up. it. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: it. He had, and uh, and, and so. That fly rod was kind of a mystery to me and all of us, Uh, but his dad, I think, one time helped us practice a little bit of casting. So he'd bring it along, and he just so happened to leave it at my house by accident. And there was a gentleman that would come down and fish the backwaters for shellcrackers, and you couldn't miss Mike. I never caught his last name. And uh, I know other guys that have known knew him, but he would come all the way from the mountains to Roswell, Georgia, to go for trophy shell crackers with a fly rod. He'd bring bring his big Grumman canoe. If it wasn't 15 feet, David, it was a 17 foot (laughs) Grumman. You couldn't miss this thing. Maybe maybe it's just because we were little kids. It seemed like that big. But he had to have his Brittany Spaniel in the bow of the boat to balance it. for. And, of course, the the Brittany was up there pointing shell crackers for him or something it was (laughs) awesome to watch and but we'd see this big long line come out of the water you know and uh, he was making these long just awesome casts and his dog and then he had his fish basket and we got real envious that he caught all these giant shell crackers and so there was mike again and i was down there and i kind of put two and two together i said man my buddy left his fly rod so i paddled back to shore ran up to the house, grabbed the fly rod and got down there and you know they, I had maybe one of those little bets uh spiders yeah. or maybe one of the little black ants that you get at Kmart. Yeah, right, right. When right. Kmart was When here.
1: Kmart was around.
0: And so I had one of those on there and just a short leader and I I was I thought I was doing the same thing Mike was doing in the canoe <laughs> out there but he kept man, I saw that rod doubled up and his basket full of big old shell crackers.
1: Can you see those water droplets come off whenever somebody oh. sets a hook it just Oh, leave that little man. spring of water. Oh, oh yeah. Man. So cool. And, and Especially as that, a kid. You, yes. you hear
0: that line rip off the surface yeah. and oh, that's so cool. Which it
1: has a different sound whenever something is on than what it does when I'm just picking up to cast.
0: It does. It just does.
1: slight. I mean, it's not much, but you can tell it.
0: Yeah. It gets the blood going. I'm down there after I'd ran back and got this fly rod that my friend left behind, his dad's fly rod, the True Temper. I couldn't stand it any longer. I I had to paddle over to Mike and just say, sir, what can I do to catch some fish like you? David, he spent two hours, maybe even three hours with me. And I was 12, 13, and he spent two hours with me teaching me the The cast, the mechanics of a cast. He gave me a box of flies, box of leaders, showed me a few knots. I remember he showed me, that was my first double surgeons. And he, not an improved clinch, just a regular clinch knot, you know, just, just, just spit on it and it'll, it'll tighten up, you know, and, but he gave me a bunch of old wet flies and some of those bets, spiders. And that's what he did. He would use the bent spider, and then he'd drop little wet flies underneath uh-huh. that looked like dragonflies. I think teleco nymphs. I think is what they were. I haven't been the same since. I I started tying my own flies, and you know, just kept it kept escalating. As you know, this there's no going back.
1: No, not once you once you've passed that corner, rounded that curve, however you want to say it. The next thing you know, you're rowing a boat and teaching somebody else how to cast, and you know, you're just a runt for the rest of however long.
0: That's it. Root, hey, rooting with fly fishing. Get, how old were you? I it was 11 or 12.
1: 11 or 12-year-old tw- boy that has the courage, if you will, paddle up someone in a canoe and say can you help me i mean that's a that's a pretty big step for an 11 year old
0: yeah in, in the drive to catch that shell cracker i mean i <laughs> I, I i was jealous of his basket of fish I, yeah i wanted to i wanted to catch a big old shell cracker like that so
1: i would probably still be jealous of a big old shell cracker if i wasn't <laughs> catching one i mean long story here but i'll shorten it up a little bit when I first started really fly fishing in Knoxville, uh, we went went up to Milton Hill Lake. My neighbor across the street and I, he was an f- avid fly fisherman, still is, and he had a little short two-man bass boat that was about probably, it might have been 12 foot long, maybe, and there's all this, it's all plastic. It had a little trolling motor on it. We go out in the middle of Milton Hill, and he says, all right, stand up on the front. Well, number one, standing up on the front of that thing was just, I was like, what? He said, stand up. So, you know, boats are going by, and it's rocking, and water's coming over the over the edge of it, and, and then he's all right. Start casting, and then he just critiqued that cast over and over and over and over and over. But that's kind of what got me started and drawn into this. Nate, just somebody taking the time, like Mike did with you. I mean, he could have said, "Yeah, here, kid, here's a fly, and you just cast it out there, and that's it." You know, but sounds like he took some time with you, uh, which is very important. Uh, number one, you had the guts to do to go up to him too. He's the, t- the type of person that will say, "All right, I'll." I'll spend some time with you. If he's going to do that, obviously you wanted it.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, how many other people have started that way to where you, whatever brings you together with whoever it is, Mike in your case, Pat in my case to where they say, all right, I'm going to help. And I I think it is
0: that, 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 that passion, it rubs off. I think it it does too. They were probably mentored by somebody else. And that might've reminded them of when, they got hooked exactly
1: so you started fly fishing here on the hooch then you kind of carried on did you through high school through college or
0: yeah yeah so um you could see down here david the the water's fairly slow it's slow meandering real wide there's Uh a lot of floodplain here so we do have you know some warm water species that that kind of this is on the fringe of 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 the trout habitat and we quickly learned that you know our world was you know the islands the backwaters the bass and the brim and warm water species and then oh goodness we we found out that that there's trout in the main stem of the river. In the main river where the water's cold, (laughs) so we could have our cake and eat it too by going just paddling a little bit further to the main river. And eventually, you know, you start, you know, getting field and stream magazines. I think that same kid, his dad had a huge stack of field and stream magazines and we'd look through those and uh, I think we wound up ordering a fly tying kit. Oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, learn how to tie our own fly and that kind of thing but it was it wasn't easy to find flies back then you know so we had to tie s- some of our flies you, you you kmart only has so such right. a variety of flies, right so. right
1: and the fish have seen all of them now so i've got to go on i've got to move to the next step mom come on <laughs> so you had a canoe and, and it, we were talking earlier in, in high school you were trying to teach people to cast and
0: Yeah. Yeah. Once we learned that, you know, there were fish in the main stem of the river, if we paddled a little bit upstream, Island Ford wasn't far. And this is the first shoal that was north of where we, where we lived. And you get up into those shoals and you know, that's where you've got all that nice habitat. So riffles, runs, and we've got a great caddis hatch. And my first experience with dry fly, you know, we, we wound up, we had a little John boat with a little kicker motor and we'd motor up to there, to that, that shoal area. And in the spring we'd see the fish rising. That was another aha moment for me. It's oh man. It's (laughs) now, now it's like we're combining fishing and hunting, right? you are seeing fish rising and then you're, you know, having to match the hatch and then sneak up on them and present the fly and catch you know your first fish on a dry i mean that i think that was That's what got me hooked on the trout fishing was, you know, being able to cast a weightless fly, just the weight of the line. And then to see that fish come up.
1: Yes. That gets everybody's heartbeat.
0: But, 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 you know, then you get fired up about it and then you get obsessed with it and, uh, you know, it's a passion, it's an obsession or both, but then you want your buddies to experience that too. So I, we, I started teaching other kids in the neighborhood and other, other classmates and that kind of. And it continued, you know, just, just a passion, just a hobby, you know, even through college, you know, if we, I had one friend, one uh, college mate that uh, was from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And he happened to live right near, you know, the Latort Spring Creeks, which which, okay. which we used to read about. You know, you used right. to read about it in these magazines, Field and Stream. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so you you'd have guys like uh, Joe Brooks and um, Ed Engel and those kind of guys that would fish those. They, they'd make their pilgrimage to the spring. Well, my buddy, you know, lived there, so I got to go up one summer and fish with him for a week up, you know, up in Carlisle and the Spring Creeks up there. I think we fished a tailwater up that way. And so, you know, no matter what I I would wind up everywhere I'd go, I'd research the fly fishing opportunities. Right. Everything already before I started a guide service was still You know, that was the, the, the gravy, uh, the, the fly, (laughs) if there was fly fishing anywhere in that area, wherever we were, where I was, we would try to pursue that. I think I'm still that way today.
1: You're, you probably are too. If you're going to go somewhere, I'm going to look around and see, you know, is there a boat I can get into? You know, I'd like to be in a casting brace somewhere. Let's just see what's up there. And at a young age like that, if you start young like that, you just kind of, that just keeps on and you just learn more and more and more and more. And living on the river, that's a great opportunity to learn a lot of things. So if you're living on the hooch for all that, all that time, and you still do, you probably know places to fish. And I'm not asking for a, for your super secret hole. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not asking that. What types of water are there here, you know, that you kind of like what all have you learned from living on the river for that long?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I look at the Chattahoochee, it's it's like multiple fisheries. So you, you've got I, I break it up into three or four sections. When you get up by the dam, um, the water is crystal clear and they release water. We were talking about how that water fluctuates anywhere from seven to eleven feet once or twice a day. And the water is super cold and it's it's actually sterile it's like um it, it's like distilled water coming out of the dam and a lot of that is because of how deep the lake is and we're all freestone so we we're all granite bedrock we don't have any limestone so we don't have the calcium carbonate like you guys would have in a limestone setting it's crystal clear i'm talking like gin clear like moonshine i mean it is totally clear and it's it's scoured so there's not a lot of um moss and stuff like that. So I described the first probably 10 miles of water as almost like a glacial stream. It reminds me of like going up to Whitefish in, in, in Montana where, you know, out there it's, it's all, you know, glacial uh, runoff. It's all snowmelt. But then as you make your way further downstream, the river channel widens. And so I would describe that as almost like a mountain stream and a lot of granite bedrock, a lot of um, relief in the riverbed. And so you get a lot of riffles, runs, that kind of thing. And there's some slow meandering water, but it's crystal, crystal clear. And then as you get about 10 miles below the dam, you're going to start to notice the banks aren't as steep and there's less erosion and you're going to find more um aquatic vegetation that that establishes on the riverbed and then you're going to start to see more bugs and so now now it starts to turn into you know goes from almost glacial to freestone and then you go a little further down another probably mile marker 20 or so then i think you start getting into what i would describe as spring creek and so you're getting more of the with that parrot grass and hydrilla we called it coontail grass growing up you know there's elodea and that kind of thing that uh mixed in and there's pools some of the pools can range from a mile long to a quarter mile and that's where the drift boat really comes in for us on the hooch i know you've spent some time out there it's just such a expansive river it's so so big and the average depth is probably i would guess five feet if you had to average it all out so the drift boat helps you but if you do your homework you can find some areas that you know you can wade fish but we grew up before we could afford drift boats or had a place to store them or anything so we grew up with belly boats oh yeah Uh uh-huh And so that's kind of unique to the Chattahoochee that the belly boat, uh, we call it the donut hatch. You know, you get these (laughs) guys out there. What's great about the belly boat is you don't have to be so familiar with the river. You can actually explore safely with a belly boat. So that's how we did it in the old days.
1: Again, I'm not asking for your favorite place to fish here, but do you find that on these long, expansive pools that there's a place that you stop? Like, okay, I'm coming up to this place and I'm going to stop here. And there may be yeah. ten boats in front of you, and none of them even look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, it. it, it um, I, I think the 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 tail, of the head of the pool, and the tail of the pool are transition areas. And so, I know anybody that runs a drift boat like you or I, we 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 know that those features. Where you have transition there's going to be a concentration of fish right so you know i i I think at the head of the pool the the big dog fish the the big fish they they've got first shot at whatever comes out of that that pinch in the river whatever that feature is i think you do also with the head or the tail of the pool it's typically the there's a feature that either pinches the river Mm -hmm. there's a there's a taper or a funnel area and it transitions from, from deep to shallow right, or shallow to deep. And those transition spots seem to always have a good concentration of fish.
1: Looking at the river, it, the banks in some places are fairly straight, right? Not, not mm-hmm. for long period not for long miles or anything, but in reality, you can look and you can say, all right, the banks are fairly straight. But I like to say that river never really runs straight. The current's always bouncing off of something. It never runs straight down the middle. Even if it's in the middle at one particular time, it's probably going left or right. Mm-hmm. So understanding the river, that's a big part of knowing where the fish are. Those, those transition areas are important. And, but what do you do in between those transition areas? You, if you, if you're going to float through there or elect to fish that, learning what's going on between the transition areas is probably almost as important as what's going on in the transition period.
0: Peri- mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So connecting the dots. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I have found that the slow meandering water, that is what, what a lot of guides call frog water yep, is yep. that slick, you know, yeah. but if, uh, it's funny, I get a lot of, uh, mostly old timers will get out on the river and they'll go, Hey, uh, did they ever clean up these banks? There's a lot of junk on the banks and a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, debris, down so trees, down trees. Yeah. I say, no, sir, that's our best habitat. <laughs> that's so yeah. Right. If, if you're willing to look beyond the surface, even in the deep, slow meandering water, if you can just imagine, you know, you see the bank and what we call strainers, you know, those, those yes, trees that yes. fall in, you know, the, the water goes through, but you don't. Right. right. And especially with a belly boat, you <laughs> right? Know, that's really, we knew to stay clear of those, but that's where the fish are. So even in that slow meandering water. If if you ever experience it in a belly boat, you'll have an appreciation. Even though it seems like the water's not moving, it's moving pretty good, and that submerged uh, woody debris on the hooch. Anyhow, I don't you know. I think maybe on the White River it's that way too, yeah, where yeah. they they get a lot of lot of erosion.
1: The rivers in Middle Tennessee are that way. The rivers pretty much everywhere have something mm-hmm. like that. that mm-hmm. And you're right. It, in a belly boat, you get a the full sensation of what it's really doing. Cause oh, you're not yeah. sitting on top of the water, you're in it, your feet are way down in it, you know, yeah, you three, can... four five feet, whatever it is, and you can feel what's going on and it's pulling a lot quicker than what you think. Absolutely. So that gives you the, the, the full idea of what's going so, on. So
0: here. the fish in those areas that are, you know, expansive or, you know, that, that seem like, you know, you, you, you don't want to rush to the transition area. The head and tail of the pool are good. But that middle area is is still quite good. You would think it it's marginal because it's featureless, right? It seemed, But if you can look beyond the surface and really look down and, and see, there'll be fish down there holding, you know, right in behind oh, the log jams. Yeah. Those brown trout love, I tell people brown trout love structure more than bass.
1: Yes. That's, <laughs> I don't know how many nice fish I've caught in a place where you see other people just walking by or paddling by or rowing by. And if you ever have to stop and wait on one of those transitions, like, I really want to fish this today for whatever reason, you'll figure out, well, all I've got left is this big, long pool. Let's just take a look at it. And the next thing you know, you, you can't wait for the big, long pools. There you go. You know, and then there you're you just go. fishing the whole river, which is important. And I can tell that the hoots. I mean, you've got a love for it. It comes out for the river. And I guess, you know, if you've grown up here and you spent your career here and built your business with around it and you fish with your brother still today, a lot of things revolve around the Chattahoochee river for Chris. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So so I can see how it influences and you, and you know the river well, and you've described it really well. That's cool.
0: That's great. And, And, you know, one thing I, I, I get people, um, you know, they'll, they'll look at maps and uh, you know, that's helpful, too, to, yeah. to help you kind of wrap your mind around where, you know, where do you start? That's the question I get a lot. And uh, I'll tell you another handy thing, David, for people that are just now, you know, interested or want to get into the river and learn more about the river. Go to Google Earth or Bing.com and look at some aerials, you know, mm-hmm. before and after you fish a stretch. That'll really help you, you know, understand, you know, what kind of habitat we're talking about.
1: And don't look right at the parking lot either right that's right <laughs> try not to, try not to walk straight out of the parking lot right into this right into the stream if you can help it but you know what it's interesting that mm-hmm. people will clean fish you know right at the ramp or right at the gravel bar oh sure and in the evenings the big browns just seem to know like oh, it's time yep it's getting dark there I need to run up there and grab a meal somebody probably cl- cleaned a little stalker rainbow up there, I'm going to run up there and grab it. So everything, if you you have to really think through what the possibilities are. You know, if all you have time for is to run off the end of the parking lot and into the gravel park, by all means, do it. Because you're going to learn something that day. I promise you, you will.
0: Absolutely.
1: So you you guide out of a drift most of the time or...
0: We do. Um, We have the odd uh, client request waiting, and I get it. You know, it's kind of fun to get in the river, you know, and uh, like the movie. You know, you're out there. Uh, But with tailwaters, you know, it's – you know, getting off the beaten path, like you're talking about, you know, just trying to get away from the parking lots. Uh, there's less pressure on the fish. And then the advantage of being able to drift with your flies. I try mm-hmm. to describe to these guys, I say, okay, we can go bar hopping if, if they just are set. They've got to wade. they got to jump in the river. And it's a lot of fun for kids, too. You know, you drop them off on a gravel bar and they get out there and, you know, dig around in the rocks and that kind of thing. It, it is a lot of fun. But, it, it, you know, if you want to catch more fish... And you and I know because we fish tailwaters that, you know, you just cover so much more water. You dead drift your flies out of of a moving boat. I mean, it's, uh, there's so many advantages. So we get a handful of clients that want to wade fish. We get some guys that want to do some spay casting, either trout spay or get ready for a destination river with, with, with spay casting. And you really do need to get out of the boat to do that, and and that would mimic what they're going to do somewhere on destination. I think if you get a good hatch, if you get real good um, caddis hatch in the spring, there's an advantage to getting out of the boat and trying to headhunt. Right. You know, you right. could get out on a gravel bar and you could spend hours just picking off rising fish, but that's the exception. I think, you know, you got to be at the right place at the right time to get, you know, where you would justify getting out of the drift boat and waiting. So
1: how would you even get started with the drift
0: boat? Oh, man. Uh, I was working at a John Deere dealership in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And the only reason I got that job is I worked at Cherokee Golf Course every summer through high school and college. And I was a greenskeeper and a frog gigger. (laughs) So at night, we'd go out. We had 23 lakes on on Cherokee Golf Course. We'd go out um, frog gigging then also uh, we operated a lot of a lot of tractors and a lot lot of uh, machinery and so I got a job at a John Deere dealership in Lawrenceville and I would call on golf courses it was a family-owned business and we would you know nurseries and golf courses and I might have a fly rod in the bed of my truck I'll be doing on my way to a potential customer
1: that's crazy
0: you know, you've got to make site inspections, David, right, sometimes, right. you know, and so with the fly rod, but I was, uh, I, I had been doing that for about three years. I got to work outside. I got to call on, you know, uh, different people met a lot of really nice people. Uh, the golf course industry is, you know, thriving in Georgia. So all these golf courses were either being built or ready to be built as young adults. My dad, Would take us. I'm the youngest of four kids. So when we were all in our 20s, our first big trip, my dad, you know, was a real busy guy growing up and uh, he wanted to give back to us as adults and he wanted to get to know us as adults. And so he took us to some pretty neat places. And the first trip that we did with my dad in the summer, we went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And dad booked two drift boats down the Snake River um, uh, through Jack Dennis sporting goods. Right. Right. Uh, that's that's an old f- and Jack Dennis is still around. Yeah. And so we floated the snake with the Tetons in the background, my two sisters, my dad and my brother and I, and we floated down in two boats and I'll never forget we we ran out of film. Yeah, that was back when we had <laughs> regular cameras, you know, with 35 it. millimeter. And we didn't even take pictures of fish. We were taking pictures of the Tetons, you know oh, I mean? Yeah. Just floating down, just, you know, the moose and coming down to the rivers and the Eagle flying over. And, but we caught a few nice cutthroat out of that boat. But the impression I got between the airport in the summertime, all those guys walking around with their fly rod cases. And then, you know, the industry, you know, these guys at Jack Jenna sports, they, they say, okay, we're going to meet you at the fly shop. And they give you a solo cup. Yeah. They go, okay. You fill that cup up, and then whatever you don't use, you can bring back. And that's a racket in itself. I say we. My brother and I are there going. Oh, Dad's going to pay for. this. Right. <laughs> so we just packed two solo cups full. Right. We never returned any flies. <laughs> but but that was my first time out of a boat. I had been out west before. As 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 a high school graduation gift, my dad gave me a trip where a a local fly shop hosted a. A trip out west for a week
1: oh yeah okay and
0: so i'd been to yellowstone but not i couldn't afford any drift boat trip right drift boat was like big time i put two and two together between you know the industry the movie had just come out in 92 i think maybe 92 93 and the popularity of fly fishing was just exploding at that time i was sort of getting fed up with my john deere dealership uh, situation <laughs> working at that, uh, dealership. And, uh, so we get back and I said, man, I gotta, I gotta do this. We we've got a guide on the hooch. This, this is, we've got such a treasure here. Such a great resource. And and the fact that we've got the space to cast. And so I approached the owner of Fishhawk, Gary Merriman, about starting a guide service on the Chattahoochee River. There had been some other guys that had tried to start it, but at the time too, I befriended the biologist for the river. John Biagi was his name at the time. He just retired recently with the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. And uh, he had mentioned that they were going to have Uh, They were going to do away with the closed season on a handful of streams in Georgia, somewhere just before the Olympics, and a big part of this was to alleviate the pressure on these rivers. And, you know, opening day of trout season, while it was awesome, you know, we all look forward to it, but man, it looked like, I know you've seen oh, it's it up awful. there. awful, yes. And you see the little blue bait yes. buckets, and it looks like a cattle trail going down to yep. the river. And Charlie Salter used to write about it in the uh, Atlanta journal constitution you know, opening day, you right. know, the sports page. It was a big deal.
1: So Georgia had the closed season during
0: the winter-ish. Right, right. So it ended October 31st, and it didn't open back up until... I think the third Saturday in March. Oh. So there was a big gap you right. know, b- between October and March. So I had gotten wind of that, that they were going to change to a, a year round season. And it did happen about two years after I started working at Fishhawk. So I approached the owner, got back from the Tetons and said, Hey man, we're going to start a guide service on the river. We're going to, let's, we've got such a great resource here. Did you have a boat at the time? I did not. Okay. Well, I had a John boat yeah. and okay. canoes. So we grew up, you know, belly boats, canoes, kayaks, john boats. All of which are good to fly fish out of now. Absolutely. They still are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and in fact, David, what I did, I'd spent some time out in Arkansas uh, fishing the white and I saw they have those Arkansas river boats. right? So it's like an 18, 20 foot long, pretty narrow, but stable john boats out of fiberglass and that was my first boat. So I approached Gary at the Fish Hawk about a guide service. He said, why don't you come work for me while you get it started? While I was working there, you know, pretty much full time, you know, four or five days a week. And then we get Sundays, you get one day off. I ordered a champion boat out of, uh, I think it was Flippin' Arkansas is right. where they make them. Floats in a half inch of water. I mean, they are awesome. And you get like, you know, we we were called the Greyhound of the Chattagoochee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's so dang long. Yeah. I,
0: I could I could get, you know, five or six guys in this thing. The problem with those boats, though, you get too complacent. You try to stand up and then somebody reaches for a, oh, for yeah. a drink and yeah. all of a sudden you hear a splash. Right. Somebody's swimming. And so I, I lost count how many people <laughs> fell out of that boat. I always kept a big sack of candy for the people that fell in the river. I said, Get some calories in you, here's your snickers. Yes. But, But that was my first boat that I set up like like a drift boat. So we had oar system, anchor system, and a lot of decks. Right, no braces so it was <laughs> it was touch and go for a couple of years but it was a wonderful boat like you say it drafts so well that's how i learned the river is i put a, it had a tunnel hole and a tiller handle mm-hmm. and thankfully i had an ear surgeon that made me wear earplugs when i good. operated that jet as a tiller yeah. I, I to this day dr steenerson I thank him, and he's still fishing with us, but I, I think to this day, I can hear better because, you know, operating those jet motors, it's loud. So that kind of evolved into the drift boats, and we finally realized that the drift boat, there was, you know, I, I'm, you know, growing up in the South, everybody had a John boat. right. And I saw how they were doing it on the White River, and our river's similar. You know, it's slow meandering like, right. like that, so it worked, but I think a drift boat is a little better application. And now we have what we call a hybrid or a powered drifter. So it's a, a combination. It, it, it rakes in the front, but it only rakes about four degrees in the back, and then you can plane. So we, we're operating now jet outboards, and then we also use regular drift boats, and we put brackets on them with tiller little kicker motors
1: right I've told this story many times about being on the Watauga camping in the old trophy section I'm sure a lot of folks know exactly where I'm talking about and I was sitting on the picnic table one day and I was just watching these beautiful drift boats come by just one after the other my buddy walked up and asked me what i was doing and i said i'm looking at this drift boat right here and i think i'm going to get one of course he was like you absolutely 100 percent should get one right away you know what a great <laughs> friend and then it just turned into me being on the river a lot after i bought one and there's nothing like them as far as the i, I eye bet i goes. bet he's still your friend oh you, yeah, yeah, you? yeah 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 i mean you got a yeah, boat your, yeah.
0: your friends come out of the woodwork and <laughs> yes. they'll stay with you as long as they get the fish now yeah. you tell them hey guys we got a split up the rowing the the paddle time then it's but he's still with you
1: yeah and 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 it's funny because you'll you'll get somebody that you go fishing with a lot of times and you'll row them like you would anybody else try to get them on fish when it's their turn to row all of a sudden they forget they lose their mind they don't know how to row they don't know how to pick out good water they you know they're the first one to the crash because they're rowing forward and (laughs) And I figured out that, wait a minute, that's just a ploy to get to fish more is all that is. There so, you go.
0: Absolutely it is. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. it is.
1: If you don't row, you don't go anymore. Right. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's and good. I know that's I on like a t-shirt that. somewhere, but it's 100% true in my my case. So. I like
0: that. That's more democratic. Yes. It's got to be. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's said way way before we ever get in the truck to go to the river too. Nice. If
0: <laughs> you go, you row, man. That's
1: right. I'm going to fish a little bit anyway. I I think, you know, we were talking about, you were talking about that dead water, dead water, frog water, whatever it's called. That's kind of where I think I started learning to fish that because I didn't trust anybody to row me through any swift water. Mm. When it was time to row, I would say, okay, I think they can row here. Mm -hmm. That just left me with one type of water to figure out. And that's that slow moving water.
0: Yeah, that's right. neat. It holds fish. Yeah. And I, you and know. big fish.
1: Yeah, it does. And and they, then they would say, well, you know, David just wants to fish the good water. No, I don't. I <laughs> want to fish. Yes, I want to fish the good water, but your rowing skills are not letting me do that.
0: So, duty calls. You yeah. had to suffer through catching some monster fish in right. the slow, deep water. And it
1: was tough. Hey, yes, hey, you yes. suffered,
0: you're, you'll be okay.
1: <laughs> so, you've got three influences here that we talked about this. I don't know how long this thing has run already, but mm-hmm. I was going to tell you that time really flies when we do these things it could have been an hour for all i know it could have been 20 minutes feels like it's about 15 minutes absolutely it's it longer Dave. than that you, you
0: you're you're, <laughs> you're a master at this you, so you, you you create a great atmosphere buddy really
1: i don't know about that i just i enjoy it i don't know why i can tell i do i really like it i like to hear other people's stories and so a little bit about how we we got together chris was or i was talking to uh to tom underwood He's got uh, the Rebel Health Coach podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, and he talks about health-related topics and that sort of thing. And he's he's an avid fly fisherman, and I've known, gosh, I've known Tom for a long time probably longer than i'd like to be he's much older than i am mm-hmm. okay i and, just want you and, to is, know that I,
0: I, <laughs> yes you got. he's no spring chicken i know that i know that and and i i remember you had mentioned michigan didn't he grow up in michigan he grew up
1: in michigan as well yeah. and i think yeah. that was another connection that tom and i had and he was part of the local T U s chapter down here
0: yeah Cahutta. Uh, Cahutta,
1: sure. yep uh and he got us together but uh if, if you're right. if you're into health things Rebel Health Coach, I'll go ahead and put a plug in for Tom because oh, he, does excellent. A, he does a great job and he's got a lot of episodes and he's got a lot of interesting people on there as well. But So that's what got us together. And then you're talking about Mike and the True Temper Glass Rod. We talked a lot about the hooch and and your business is built around the hooch, but I can tell that you have a true love for the river and you know the river and you don't mind helping folks either. I think one thing that you and I have in common is a love for a drift boat. Uh, Absolutely. I've, so I knew I was in the right place whenever I pulled up. There's drift boats sitting everywhere and there's bird dogs. So right. Like, okay, this has got to be it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's been nice. It's been good being here. And I appreciate you inviting me down to uh, the world headquarters of RTA. Where can it? Where Absolutely. can folks find you on the web?
0: Uh, that would be riverthroughatlanta.com.
1: Okay. And then are you on uh, any other social media? Uh,
0: we've got a pretty good following on Instagram. So it's river underscore through underscore Atlanta.
1: Or you can just so search Instagram. river through Atlanta you'll happen oh sure
0: we'll pop up yeah absolutely
1: yeah. I've seen some really big fish come through there by the way I mean I know oh, that yeah. you probably keep track of that but uh, but there's been some big fish come come into your nets and that's that's pretty cool we're not here to you know sell anybody on anything but I will say this if you come to Atlanta for business or you live around here and you want to either a learn fly fishing or B you just want to get out and see what the hooch is all about Chris and his guys really do a fine job. Uh I hear nothing but good things about you and your your entire group. People just apparently they just keep coming and they wouldn't come back if you didn't if you weren't nice to them and you didn't have something good going on here. So like I said, I appreciate you inviting us down to uh the world headquarters, like I said, of RTA and, right on. Uh, thanks
0: for, thanks for having me on the show, Dave.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you, uh, you coming through for us and, uh, appreciate everybody listening. If, uh, if you get a chance and you enjoyed what you heard here, if you could, uh, subscribe to Southeastern Fly the Anglers Influence, that helps us out in the ratings and helps push us to, uh, some other folks so they can hear it as well. Word of mouth, as always, with anything is, is top-notch. So if you have something good to say, please tell your buddies. Let them have a chance to listen to. We, we appreciate everything that the listeners do out there. And, uh, Chris, thanks again for having us, and uh, see you next time.